Jane, page 38. Jane Wellington was on her way to tea in Washington Square. She was late because the traffic was abominable, and because Miss Milhouse had found fault with Jane's grooming. Sally, those tendrils are going flat already, Miss Milhouse sniffed. And is that a tangle I see, I see hiding at the back? You simply must do a better job with her hair. Yes, miss. Yes, miss. Sally bowed and scraped and did everything but throw herself on the floor and beg for mercy. Like a repentant criminal in one of the novels Jane wasn't supposed to read. Miss Milhouse was Jane's chaperone, and had been ever since Jane's mother died seven years earlier, when Jane was nine. Sally was Jane's new Irish maid. Jane had a feeling that Sally wouldn't last long. It took forever for Sally to take all the pins out of Jane's lank, dark hair and recomb, recurl, recrimp, and repile the entire mass back on top of Jane's head. It took forever for Miss Milhouse to inspect the new hairstyle and pronounce it adequate. The chauffeur was waiting at the door. Fortunately, but then he drove down Fifth Avenue, where the cars inched along as slowly as horses. Remember, Miss Milhouse lectured, Miss Aberfoyle's brother has just married Sylvia Van Rennesler, who whose family is quite prom prominent. Why, the Van Rennesler's were part of Mrs. Astor's 400 from the very beginning. It was a source of great anxiety to Miss Milhouse that Jane's family was not one of the old New York Society families. The Wellington name had not been on the list of those who truly mattered when it was leaked to the society press in the 1890s. In the 1890s, Jane's father was only beginning to accumulate his fortune. But I could buy and sell most of those families now, Jane had heard her father brag, once when he'd had too much port to drink. Sometimes that was enough in society, to have that much money. Sometimes it wasn't. Miss Milhouse was very eager for Jane to understand all the rules and unspoken rules of society. But the rules mostly made Jane feel like she was about to break out in hives. If you could perhaps contrive to sit next to Miss Aberfoyle, that would be most wise, Miss Milhouse was saying now. Perhaps I shall, Jane said, though she was thinking, oh, please. Anyone but Lily Aberfoyle. Lily Aberfoyle was a prissy, brainless bore. Lily Aberfo Aberfoyle also made Jane feel like breaking out in hives. Barely listening as Miss Milhouse droned on, Jane peered out the window. They were almost to Washington Square now, and the sidewalks were packed. Suddenly, a great crowd of girls about Jane's age piled out of one of the buildings. Their cheeks were rosy and their eyes bright, and they were chattering away excitedly. They looked like they were having a lot more fun than Jane had ever had going to tea. Is that a school, Jane asked, pressing her face close against the glass. Meeting in the summertime? It's not a very good one, if their clothes are any indication, Miss Milhouse said scornfully. For the first time, Jane noticed that some of the girls' skirts were ragged. The flowers and feathers on many of their hats were limp and bedraggled. Can you see a sign anywhere, she persisted. I just want to know. It's a factory, miss, the chauffeur said from the front seat. 
Triangle Waste Company. Signs up there at the top of the building. Oh, Jane leaned back against her seat but kept watching. Girls? Work in factories? Yes, miss, the chauffeur said. My niece started in a factory when she was 12, sewing buttons on coats, and now she makes... Mr. Corrigan, Miss Milhuis scolded. I'm certain that Miss Wellington doesn't care to hear the particulars of your niece's employment. Jane didn't, not really, but there was something about those girls spilling out from the Triangle Waste Factory, something she couldn't quite name but almost envied. They arrived at the tea party and made their apologies for being late. All the usual girls were there, Lily Aberfoyle and Mary Stewart and Iris Ferrier and Pearl Kensington and Daisy Cornell. Jane had known these girls all her life. They all went to the same finishing school, where they learned how to curtsy properly and select the proper utensils at fancy dinner parties and write proper thank-you notes forward, afterward. The conversation today centered on dresses and dances and the details of Lily's brother's wedding. Somehow today, Jane wasn't interested. She stared down at her delicate bone china cup and thought she could see the rest of her life. All those afternoons spent drinking tea with these same girls, every one of them so carefully obeying all the society rules. Of course, there'd be a flurry of excitement when they all got married and had children. But husbands went off to work every day, or to yacht, or to hunt, or play polo, or golf, and there would be servants for raising the children. And that would leave Jane, with her tepid tea, and her bone china, and these girls who could make an hour's conversation out of nothing. I saw some factory girls on the way here, Jane blurted suddenly, rudely interrupting Lily's description of the gold crest on the dinner plates at the wedding. The other girls stared at Jane, as if she'd been suggesting they discuss water closets or head colds or something else equally unpleasant and unmentionable. After a moment, Daisy Cornell, the hostess of the party, replied, Oh yes, they've put factories in some of the lofts near Washington Square. My father says it's simply appalling to have that kind so close by. The other girls tisked, 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 or murmured, what a pity, or such a shame. Jane saw that they'd completely misunderstood her. I don't know, Jane said. Those girls looked rather interesting. She shifted in her chair a bit, rustling the layers of her skirts. I wonder what they think about girls like that. Oh, please, Lily said, tossing her head and shaking the perfectly curled tendrils that dangled from her coiffure. I'm sure they don't think. Not exactly. Not like us. They're more like, um, servants, who aren't capable of thinking about anything more advanced than dusting and polishing and washing dirty dishes. And sometimes, she giggled prettily, my mama says they're not even capable of that. Jane watched the servant girl, who was refilling Lily's teacup at that very moment. She had the red hair and the pale, freckled skin that were so common among the Irish servants. She might well be the twin of Jane's maid, Sally. An angry blush crept up the girl's cheeks. Jane could tell she was biting the inside of her lip the same way Jane did when she was trying not to cry. If 
I were that servant, Jane thought strangely. I'd make sure I spilled that whole pot of tea all over Lily's white dress. The servant did nothing of the sort, only finished up pouring and walked briskly back to the kitchen. You sound just like my cousin Eleanor, wondering about such curious things as what factory girls think, Pearl said to Jane. Ever since Eleanor went to Vassar, she's had the oddest ideas. Vassar? Lily said. Your cousin is attending, Eleanor is attending college? My father says college is too taxing for a girl's delicate constitution, not to mention that education will be completely wasted on a female. It probably would be, on you, Jane thought bitterly. And then she felt guilty. How is she so much better than Lily? What did she know about, besides curtsying and dinner parties and prim proper thank you notes? Daisy cleared her throat, somehow managing to make it a delicate feminine sound. Oh, Lily, I did so want to hear the rest of your description of the dinner plates at the wedding, she said. I need new friends, Jane thought, and the force of her conviction surprised her. These had been her friends all her life. If they were a little tiresome today, well, weren't they always? At her earliest opportunity, Jane leaned over to Pearl and said quietly, Would it be possible for me to meet your cousin Eleanor?